So we were looking at Daniel's experience with the three amigos and all those exiles, right, that have been taken in, taken into Babylon, the uh, the brightest and the best, and then they were going to be indoctrinated, and their names even changed so that they would change, you know, uh, an affiliation and identity and what God would they serve, uh, change where they lived and what they wore and uh, even the schooling and now they're going to be taught you know, the languages and the history of a new nation and, and having left behind everything else. But then also the food issues as well and the dietary uh, demands that were being placed on them. To, I mean, and it was a requirement, right? I mean, again, I think I just reiterate, from our perspective, 21st century Western civilization Americans, we're like, well, it sounds like a great option from the menu, right? To, to have the king say, you're going to eat the same food that's being prepared for the king's table. <coughs> that's what you'll eat as well. And we look at that and say, great, it's like the cruise, you know, and I'll sample everything. That's where my head probably would have gone. <laughs> and, uh, and yet Daniel and his friends, they recognize that they're, this, they're asking them, demanding them, demanding them to go against what they have been taught as far as dietary restrictions as God's people, but also these other foods that were going to be served on the king's table in preparation. It wasn't just that the chef made them, you know, taste good and appealing to the sight. He, they had been sacrificed idols. And so these were, these were meals that had already been sacrificed to false gods. And now that's what they're all going to eat. And so, you know, it's not just that Daniel's saying, can we we be vegetarians. I mean, there's so much more to this uh, demand that the king is placing on them. But Daniel prays and he makes the request to the chief officer, can we eat something different? It was a 10-day test. It's 10 days. And we're going to read here in just a few moments, but the, you know, after 10 days, they get inspected and they looked better and they were fatter and everything else. And it's like, 10 days? God. Carrots and celery? I don't think that's going <laughs> to make them. But it was in response to their faith that God is the one who made them healthier. God is the one who strengthened them in body and soul and mind. God is the one. And, uh, and, but it was based on their faith and faith that was translated into obedience. Right? But even through it all, Daniel, seeking to submit himself to God, submitted himself to the rulers right there. And so it wasn't that he was leading a revolt or a rebellion, but he was saying, as I trust in my God, who is able to save us, I'm going to trust him to help me obey him. And so I will submit myself to this, these other rulers that have now taken us into captivity. It's a bold statement, I think. And it's something for us just to ponder how do we live out faith what does that look like when we are faithful by living in the, by faith in the one who saves us but as we talked about all this right we also made the link that with the name changes and the food and everything like that um, that Satan was also busy at work and he was orchestrating this plan to try and tempt Daniel and the others with those three things that John writes about in his letter, um, you know, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and saw how 
Daniel and his buddies could have easily got sucked into the pride of life. We are the best. We're the finest. That's why the king has chosen us. And could have, could have gotten sucked into That's just one example, but could have gotten sucked in that way. Certainly could have gotten sucked into the lust of the, you know, the lust of the eyes, coveting what everybody else has. I mean, there they got their carrots and everybody else around them, filet mignon. I think that'd make the strongest one weak, <laughs> you know. And then, so lust of the eyes and, and coveting, and then lust of the flesh, just, you know, personal pleasure and satisfaction. They had everything at their fingertips now. All of a sudden, really, they went from despair, even before the exile, they went from despair and poverty and in ruin and constant, I mean, this constant battles on all sides is not new for people living in Israel. They were always sandwiched in between Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and all these warring nations. And they were the thoroughfare many times of warring nations. And, uh, and in fact, that's one of the reasons Nebuchadnezzar, when he was still a prince, decided to wage war on the Israelites because they had aligned themselves with Egypt. And so if you're going to be Egypt's friend, you're not mine kind of a perspective. So again, you have taken from that kind of a scenario now all of a sudden well cared for and and all these pleasures really at their fingertips so satan as i as i say again satan was hard at work and he he knows this is not new right he knows how to trip people up and ensnare them it's the same things he did in the garden with adam and eve the pride of life this stuff is good that's what Eve says, right? This will make me wiser. The serpent told me I'll be like God. Pride of life. And it looks good. It looks pleasurable. Satisfying. And it's good for nourishment, too. I mean, so all three were present there for Adam and Eve. Pride of life. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. So, as I've been pondering this all week, I... I'm compelled, I think is the word, compelled by love to say it, I'd be unfaithful if I didn't ask us all to pause for a moment and consider which one of those three is Satan working on me with. I mean, we could gloss over. We could say that's a nice study, you know. I mean, as we consider it, John writes about it in his letter. You have it in the garden. You have Daniel talking about it here. It was Jesus in the wilderness. Satan came at Jesus with three temptations, all three of them. Pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. I mean, Jesus, you know, Satan says to Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms right now. Just bow down and worship me. You can have everything you want. Just worship me. So again, I'm just compelled, I, you know, out of love to say, let's pause for a moment. So it's up to you. I'm actually going to hand out these three by five cards. And maybe in your own personal code. I don't know. You want to, but my encouragement is to pause for a minute and trust God to reveal. Right? Daniel could not have lived his faith out in that moment if he didn't recognize the attack. Does that make sense? Daniel and his friends would have had a hard time living out their faith in that moment if they hadn't also recognized 
the, the way they were being confronted. There's one for you. That's the equal number. Excellent. I've already done mine. <laughs> I thought you were just that good. I keep counting out how many people are going to be here today. No, it was just random. I just grabbed a stack. So, yeah. Jim, could you speak for a minute on the idea of this? I think sometimes we get confused, or I do, anyways. Um, if you see when God made Israel promises, from the first, if you do this, I will do this. I will multiply your lands. I will bless your flocks. I'll give you all these things, and he certainly did that with like Jacob, with Abraham. They had, I mean, I'm sure they weren't eating rump bros. But yet, sometimes we go and they say to the other extreme, and people want to take like vows of poverty where they just deny everything. So, speak to us on the difference with that. With I understand the kings giving this versus God, but. Okay, so, wow, Don, you've opened up a Pandora's box there. So let me try and speak to it in a nutshell if I understand the question, especially in our context here, right, of the right. three. Right, in the context of, so, the, so if we have the lust of the eyes, so how do we, where do we look to differentiate that between is this me or is this something God's blessing you with? Oh, sure, right. Does that, does that make sense? And that's a, um, on the one hand, I can say pretty simply, I can tell personally pretty quickly if this is just selfish absorption, what I want to do, and I know it's wrong. I mean, my conscience speaks to me on that. Um, I think what Daniel and the others had there is trust. It wasn't in this moment all of a sudden they was like, oh, we need to live by faith. I mean, I think there had been a, a pattern of living by faith. So when they find themselves in this context and the king is saying, you know, we're changing your name and you're going to worship other, you know, you have to live in this context. And by the way, you have to eat all the food that we're going to provide for you that's been sacrificed to idols and totally against what your, what your own um, God-given laws would have required. It was pretty clear to them in that moment, like, we can't do that. Sure, they're going to call us these other names. I can't stop that. Or I'm going to dress this way and live in this place and receive this education can't really stop that but I can do something about the food I eat and so I think going back to what you said yeah and it, and it is kind of Old Testament the curses and the blessings really um, you know following obedience I mean all of Deuteronomy it's you know over and again I mean one statement is if you do these things God blesses you if you do these things God you'll face curse and even even the reason they're in exile right now the is because of years I mean going back to even King Manasseh years of defiance and rebellion of God's love and grace. Um, so when Daniel hears in this moment, it's really a huge testimony. His parents or grandparents, somebody was was sharing their faith with Daniel in these ways. Otherwise, they would have been like everybody, all the other exiles, and just gone ahead and done it. But thank God for legacy and for heritage of faith. So now I feel like I'm straying. But anyway, um, so there's nothing uh, sinful about receiving blessing. There's nothing sinful about, you know, we enjoyed a nice steak and potatoes meal last night. And I'm very grateful the vehicles I have, the house I live in, the roof over my head, the freedoms I have. So, you know, it's, but I know in my heart, as I said, I did my card this week already. I know what my, my struggle is. I know what my pride of life, how it surfaces. I know how I, how I look at other people and go, man, I wish I had. I mean, because again, these three are all encompassed in the Ten Commandments too. So, am I helping it all, Don? Yeah, it's just yeah. 
it's, it's something sometimes that I, I struggle with to say, you know, so sometimes if, if God does bless you, then sometimes you struggle to go, oh, well, I didn't have to live in this house or drive this kind of vehicle. I could have. I think part of what you're asking, Don, correct me if I'm wrong, part of what you're asking is it's a slippery slope to think I deserve it. Or I've earned it, and that see that's easy for us here in our Western civilization, American mindset, to say, "Hey, I went to work all week. It's mine, right?" And otherwise, to to receive it as. And we're inundated with that concept. Oh, absolutely. Have this, the best of this. This is living all that. Yeah. So it's just I mean, it, and it can be a fine line, Don. I'm not gonna, you know, it can be a really fine line between is am I receiving this as God's blessing? with thanksgiving or am i saying i want more or look you know i deserve this i've earned it does that help at all don okay the reason i want us to pause for a moment and just if you did jot down something on your card of course that's you and and jesus right now because when daniel recognized the attack he trusted in God to save him from the attack. When he recognized that this is the onslaught, more than just the, more than the battles and the being taken away and into exile as captives, when he's you know, recognizing, they changed my name. When he's recognizing, they're teaching me these things. And when he's recognizing, and they want me to eat their food, which is in direct opposition to what God wants me to do, then I can call upon God to save me. That's that's what I'm hoping with jotting that down on your card will help with, is to recognize the attack so that we can call upon God who is able, who is willing and able and desires to step in and save us. Because that's what happened. Like I hinted at already, it wasn't the vegetables that made them fatter and better. It was God's doing. And so... Just, I encourage you to kind of keep, you know, if you were able to come up with something to write down in your card, it means it's probably Satan has attacked you that way more than once. Is that a fair statement? Mm-hmm. And so, just having that awareness. And to be honest, I mean, I when I wrote down my own card, I was going to be really transparent. <coughs> when I did that, I, I had that moment of, yeah, I, I know that. Am I willing, am I ready to be saved from it? I mean, Daniel could have said, well, let's eat a few nights, guys, and then we'll ask God to, (laughs) and then then we'll go to the chief officer, you know. Let's taste it first, and then we'll, you know. Because sometimes the very thing that we would write on our card, while I believe, I'm convinced it's Satan's methodology, that's how he comes at us. At the same time, I think Eve said it best. I kind of like it. I want it. I'm going to reach out and take it. She was not force-fed. And so I, I had to wrestle with that myself and say, okay, I know, that, I know that this is the thing and that God will save me from it. See, that he will save me from it. So am I ready to pray to ask him to save me from it? Does that make sense? Okay. So let's read a little bit from Daniel. I'm starting in verse 15 of chapter 1. 
At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food. You know, this is everybody else now, right? <laughs> they took away uh, their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave all of them vegetables instead. Wow. Jeez, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no resentment building there. <laughs> Daniel needs to be careful which dark alley he goes to. <laughs> What's that? So that's why I ended up in the lions. Yeah, no kidding. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official had... Uh, sorry, skip the page there. The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So primarily this has all been history. And even this last statement is just making a, because Daniel serves multiple kings. I mean, kings come and go. And yet Daniel remains as a, a key um, uh, counselor for multiple kings. So he stays there for a while. But there's, I mean, profound statements, right? It, it's God who is able. And so when Daniel and the others place their faith in God, what they are saying is, if this goes wrong, if this fails, we're dead. I mean, the chief official has already said his head is on the line. <coughs> and I think we can you know, come to the conclusion that if, if this experiment, right, if, this is, if God doesn't intervene, they're dead. I, that's some praying, right? That's some praying, because what the question becomes, is God really able? Did God let us down in the past? I mean, is that why we're here already? Did God let us down before? They're able to say, yeah. The, good point, Jess. The history was, whether it was Daniel or not, he recognizes that as and brokenness and broken people. Sure, he's paying the consequences of somebody before him. King Manasseh and the following kings. I mean, it's ironic, isn't it, that Daniel was not part of the leadership team in Jerusalem, but he is in Babylon. And uh, it's just uh, interesting to me because uh, the people in Jerusalem, the kings then, they weren't listening to anybody. They did have prophets. God was sending them prophets, and they did have... And they weren't listening. And now all of a sudden you have the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, listening. And uh, so he says, right? Nobody. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. But again, it's, you know, did God let him down before? I think Daniel and the others are able to say, no, we did it. The collective we. And we're here because of our sinfulness and rebellion against a loving and merciful God. I'm still going to trust him now. I'm still going to trust him now. And so he purposed in his heart 
that's what I, I didn't read those verses today, but what Daniel does is he purposes it in his heart that this is what he's going to do. He sets the course, and I think that's where it starts for all of us. You know, so I kind of maybe have put the cart before the horse, giving you the three by five cards and asking you to write down whatever that struggle and attack might be. But what Daniel says is here's the attack. I'm, I'm going to purpose in my heart to live by faith in God. I'm going to purpose in my heart to trust him to help me live faithfully. That's really what he's praying. God, help me to live faithfully because I cannot live faithfully on my own. Live, help me to live faithfully. And I think this idea of purposing in the heart says, and it's what I was, what I was confessing to you a moment ago, am I ready to change? Am I ready to be changed? the better way to say it. Am I ready to be changed? Because again, God is faithful. If I ask him to, he will. He will transform my heart. And so those kinds of things. So is somebody willing to uh, to turn to James chapter 3 and read that first, just verse 17? Yes, sir. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Yeah. Don, I actually think that verse speaks to your question a little bit. When we ask God for wisdom, he'll help us to discern. Is this... Is this something in me, a pride of life, a lusting of the eyes or a lusting of the flesh? Or is this his gift to me? Of course, God's going to want us to know the difference between the two, right? So uh, my brother-in-law, I remember this so clearly years ago, uh, it was coming up on Christmas time, and we were having some of those conversations, and, and both my family and Teresa's family, um, well, I don't know, did you guys, correct me, did you guys ever have packages under the tree from Santa? Yes. Yeah. Well, he didn't wrap his. Oh, that's just right. Left them just left them. And then they were under the tree Christmas morning. Okay. See, growing up, we opened all our presents on Christmas Eve. So there's no way you can think that Santa's actually going to show up because you've already opened them all. He came while we were at the children's Christmas program. Is that what happened? Yeah. Oh, wow. So you wanted to go to the Christmas yeah, program. He early. <laughs> okay, nice guy. <laughs> well, he's got to cover some ground. Might as well get yours out of the way. Yeah, right? No, so anyway, my brother in law makes his comment and. Uh, and it has just stuck with me over the years is when his kids and now his kids, you know, grown, half of them are out of the house. And, but he says, there's no way I'm going to, first of all, we don't, we don't believe in the Santa Claus. But second, he's like, there's no way I'm sharing credit. <laughs> he says, I bought that. I gave it to them. And there's no way they're going to go, oh, look what Santa gave me. <laughs> you know? And I just always appreciated that. And so could you read that, Dylan, again for us from James 3? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Yeah. Everything opposite of the three, three sin categories, right? And when, when we trust what God is doing in his wisdom, he's going to help us discern. Is this from him or is this something else? Verse 16 actually ties into that as well. Go ahead, Don. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
there will be disorder in every vile practice. Right. So he's making the huge contrast there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for reading that, Dylan. I think that goes back to even answering Don's question of when we find the things that we have, is that a blessing or is that me being prideful or whatever? I think you could go back to using, you know, think through it and say, was it pure? Was it this, you know, and stuff? Or was I doing this to up myself type thing? I think that can help give us an answer to and if it's God providing the gifts to us or if we're doing something. It's the glory. It's us, then we're trying to give ourselves the limelight. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know, maybe. That's kind of a, a test I've always used, yeah. too. Is, you know, Either God gets the glory do or I, do. Do I get more glory from this, or does God get more glory? Even in the garden, thank you. That's really important, and it takes me back to the garden again. Mm -hmm. Because God had said to Adam and Eve, what was the first commandment, right? Eat from all the trees. That's what he says first. Our minds tend to go, he says, well, don't. The first commandment was don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. No, that was, that was ancillary, if I can say it that way. The first command was to enjoy and eat from all the trees, all the fruit in the garden. It was, he made it all for them. And, and so really, I mean, even going back to this, you know, God gives us so much, blesses us so abundantly. And so if we got to go towards the one thing we're not supposed to have, is that, but I think again, like you pointed out, who's, who's getting the credit? If they eat from the tree of life, God gets that credit. If they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one they had been forbidden from, they're looking for the credit. And that's, in fact, what Eve says, right? The serpent told me that I would be like God. I want some credit. I want to glorify myself. Yeah, I, was just, I guess probably when you, when you said this and thinking about Daniel, where he came from, in the context of how people lived in these days, and then they were taken to the king's court. I was just thinking, I heard this little quip on the radio the other day. It said, if you make forty thousand dollars a year above, you're in the top four percent of the world's richest people. And mm -hmm. I'm just, and he was talking about like storage units never existed before yeah. like the year 1990. Now we have so much stuff, mm -hmm. wealth, and so I've been thinking about this all. Sure. Week. Sounds like it's been working on you a little bit, piercing your soul a little. And it's an important thing to wrestle with. You think we buy vehicles that cost forty thousand plus? That's where I struggle. Like, okay, so God, what is, you know. What should I be keeping for myself? And really, honestly, what should I be giving? You know, and it's not that I don't ever want to give to other people, and it's not that I always want to keep it my, to myself. But sometimes, you know, it's always like, hmm, you know, a bigger, a little bit bigger house would be nice, you know. Or and you just, you, I wrestle with that a little bit yeah. with what is appropriate. And I think another thing about the knowledge of good and evil is sometimes things aren't good for us to have. And I think like, God realized that them having the knowledge of good and evil wasn't going to be in their best interest. And a lot of things we desire, you know, it, we want it because we can't have it or, or we think we shouldn't have it or can't have it. But really, in reality, it's nothing we really want to begin with. And You're right. We think we want it. We think we want That's it. That's that we get it. lusting, like, coveting. Uh, well, that goes back to people who, like, win the lottery, win multi-million dollar lotteries, and within a short period of time, they're bankrupt because they don't, they don't They're worse off they after. After. Right. Or it's like the new car you buy. Like we, we've only done cheese. this one time and we bought a new car and we usually buy used cars. This time we thought, okay, we're gonna we're gonna buy a new car this time because we got kind of taken away by like the bells and whistles of the new car and the new car smell and everything. But then you get it and then you're paying it off over, you know, four years or so and three, four years and 
and you're like, oh, why did we do this? Like, we could have just bought one half the price. See, I'm convinced they infuse something in that new car smell thing. <laughs> <laughs> it creates a whole euphoric moment. <laughs> Things and you know, drop things on the hood of the car. Run, run their bike handles down the side. Not that we're keeping track, Greg. <laughs> well, we've done it once, and we probably won't do it again. No, but Amber, you're so you're so on target because throughout the pages of Scripture, we see that time and time again, where the people wanted something that God says you won't like it, yeah. <laughs> but they say no, we gotta have it, and. God grants that prayer. There are times, I'm thinking specifically of when they were asking for a king, right? They're saying to Samuel, we want a king. And Samuel's like, you don't want a king. You have a king. God is your king. And he even told them what would happen to them if they got a king. Mm -hmm. And they still wanted a king. And they still wanted a king. And everything that God had forewarned would happen, happened. But, you know, so God says, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And I think that's still even part of this conversation is, Mm -hmm. see, Nebuchadnezzar was wanting them to reject their God. Mm-hmm. They were dealing with the same things, and it, you know, because they had. Isn't that mind-boggling? Sixth century boat, BC, and we still got the this. same thing going. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. I think Solomon. Yeah, nothing new under the sun. Yeah. yeah I was gonna say, I think Solomon already touched on that point. Right, for sure. And see, God even said, "I was going to give them a king, in the right time and in the right manner." It was part of God's plan to give him a king. And he says, but the way you're asking for it, what you want, the reason you want it, yeah, demanding it. And again, it was a rejection of God. And that's what God says ultimately. He says, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And this is going to turn out poorly. But, um, you know, and, and even what you bring up for us, though, Amber, I think is really critical. I didn't focus on this when I read the first time. But so, you know, what does God say he does? He gives. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. He, he, he's a steward of those now. And I think that's what you're bringing up for us, Amber. Is, and, and it's not wrongful necessarily to have things. But how do we steward? At the core of it? Are we thankful for God's grace? Does he get the glory and the credit? And now how do I steward? How do I steward it? You see, if I can be geeky for a minute, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yeah, thanks. See, there was a steward for the throne of Gondor, but he thought he was king. And even when Gandalf shows up, he gets all upset and angry. He says, you're here just to get, you know, get me off the throne. Well, it's, and Gandalf says, it's not your throne. You are a steward of it, and you have claimed something that was not your own, and you have misused it. Authority is not granted to you to deny the return of the king. Right. Exactly. Nice quote. <laughs> so, I read the book you're even once. a little more geeky than I am. So. I read it once a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hey, January is Middle Earth Month. I can't wait. So. <laughs> but anyway. We digress again. <laughs> um, so, but how do we steward then, Amber? I think that's the question that you brought up for us: is 
first? Is this something I just really want to have? Is, it, is the new car smell intoxicating? Or how do we steward what God has given us? And I think what you just revealed to us, if I can, is in your humility. You've said, we won't do this again. Well, I, I can be a better steward. Right. Yeah, because yeah, it's, I think, too, one thing looking at possessions is not just ours, but things we would to share. So I think, like, one kind of general thing, and it's not doesn't always work out this way, but if we're going to make a big purchase, if we're going to do anything, how can this bless, also bless other people? That we're not, we're like a new car, it really just blesses me. Sure. <laughs> and it's also something that you end up having a big car payment that you have less money. No, it puts you in bondage to it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so again, I think Daniel is our example of how do we... How do we do that? Yeah. I did want to turn your attention to 2 Kings chapter 23 for a moment. Still kind of looking at, is God able? Did God let them down before? Is God going, can they trust him now? So 2 Kings chapter 23. This is when Josiah becomes king. And there's been a number of wicked kings who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Worship false gods, led the people away from God. I mean, those are, when God says they were evil, that's prime, and, then it, and then it goes on from there. I mean, even Manasseh went to the point of sacrificing his own children in the fires to worship a false god. I mean, it gets awful or horrific. But when God says they did evil in the eyes, his eyes, it means they rejected and rebelled against him, his grace, his love. But so then we have in chapter 23 of 2 Kings, then the king, Josiah, uh, called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests. And by the way, he became king when he was eight. He's just a young guy. Um, all the people from the least to the greatest, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. I mean, what had happened is it had become such disarray. I mean, such disarray and such chaos and such depravity. They had lost the word of God. And Josiah says, you know, the temple is falling apart. It needs a good cleaning and some maintenance. Let's get in there and do it. And when they're doing it, they found the scrolls. And they read them. And Josiah is just like, cut to the quick. Just like Peter on Pentecost as he's preaching. And he says, the people were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And so Josiah is looking at this and says, what must we do to be saved? Let, what does the scroll say? And so near, now they're reading it in front of everybody, right? The book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord, the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Profound moment in the life of the Israelites. And from that time forward, as long as Josiah was king, that's the direction they went. And that's the direction he led them. Perfectly? No. Right? He had some missteps, and there were some, you know, but by and large, the people went in that direction, following God. After his reign, it went right back into the toilet. And people did that which was right in their own eyes, and the kings led them astray. But what, what happens here is just like Daniel, God gives him, let me say it this way, Josiah was a good steward of what he received. He had received the word of the covenant. He was a good steward of that, those gifts that God had given to him. And then as you read on the following verses, God continues to bless him, and he's a good steward of those blessings. And, and that's how he, he lived. 
by faith in God. Daniel here, been given great things, really great things. But he says, I'm just a steward of them. And over and over again, we'll see how Daniel continually, when Nebuchadnezzar tries to praise Daniel for it, he says, they're not mine. This is from God. Uh, so, let's see, how are we doing? We got six minutes. So I'm going to start reading in Daniel 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Sorry, Daniel chapter 2, just to be make sure I'm clear. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubles, and he could, trouble and he could not sleep. By the way, I woke up in the middle of the night last night with the most wildest, weirdest dream I've had in a long time. Very vivid. And I was like, great. Now I'm going to be awake the rest of the night troubled by this dream. <laughs> Me and Nebuchadnezzar, you know. I don't know. Maybe I've just been thinking about this so much this week. Where's <laughs> my Daniel? Yeah, right? I, need, and I, I don't know if I want that one interpreted. Anyway. <laughs> um, so the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And isn't it powerful? I know you all have had this experience. You wake up from a dream or you wake up in the morning and you actually still have some residual emotion from, from that whole dream experience. So now Nebuchadnezzar, not only does he have insomnia, but now he's like, I'm really troubled. This dream that I had has really troubled me. And then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. By the way, Aramaic was just kind of the general language, the whole culture and surrounding area used. It's interesting that Daniel is written in Aramaic. For some, it causes a problem. Because they're like, why would Daniel, a Hebrew, write in Aramaic? But it's because he was writing to the common tongue. Um, let's see. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was, if you do not tell me what my dream was and explain it, where am I? I lost my spell. Interpret it. I will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will make something up. And we will interpret it. <laughs> I mean, really, it's astrologers. It's, I mean, they could make up just about anything. Say, oh, king, this is what that means. But it's going to be hard to come up with the dream. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Well, I'm going to condense the next little bit here. They cannot, right? <laughs> they are in great turmoil, and they cannot. In fact, they say, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. True statement? Nope. True they statement. lied again. What's that? They lied again. <laughs> Well, I mean, at that time, at that, no man, really, no, man no, Dylan, I know exactly where you're going. Yeah. We know Daniel's over here, right? But they don't. They don't. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. It's, got, it's a tension moment. And I love this tension. Thank you for doing that, Dylan. This tension moment is they don't know about Daniel, right? And that he has been already. God's given him understanding and visions and dreams. 
Some of them do. We find out. They go, hey, go get Daniel. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's a true statement because no man can. Right. Only God. So they're both and this tension. Of, there is someone, Daniel, that we know of who does this thing, but no man does it. It's God alone. Good word for us, I think. Uh, no king, however great and mighty, uh, has ever asked such a thing of, this, of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. Really what he's saying is it's impossible. What you're asking is impossible. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. The gods do not live among men. There is one God who has chosen to live among men. Right? So I think that's what we're going to actually wrap up for today. Um, the next thing we'll talk about you know, next week is what the dream is. And I, there's no way we can do it justice in a minute and a half. And so, um, so next week we will dive into what the dream. You know, <laughs> Teresa and I laughed about that all week long. <laughs> when Jessica looks at the clock, uh, Jim, <laughs> do you know the church is starting in two minutes? <laughs> so anyway, um, we'll let you breathe. Thank you, Almighty God. You have blessed us so richly and abundantly, and uh, and so Father. Please work faith within us so that we might receive the bounty of your goodness and the trustworthiness of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everyone. Just a reminder, we have Oktoberfest coming up this Saturday, October 5th at 5 p.m. at Grace Lutheran High School. There will be brats and lots of German celebration and we will have an auction for a quilt raffle and other raffles. All proceeds go to the discretionary fund. Also coming up on October 20th, we will have our Red Letter Celebration Challenge Day, where we will celebrate that we have completed the 40 days of the Red Letter Challenge together with a potluck here at church after the 11 o'clock worship service.